Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. That we would be good listeners and good hearers of your word. And that, Lord, you would just do a work on our hearts and on our minds. So that we would know the truth. Because Jesus said the truth will set you free. So we come this morning, Lord, because it is your word. It's not our word. It's what you say. And what you say is true. Help us to believe it. Help us to trust your word. Even when we can't comprehend it. Even when it doesn't meet with what we think it should say. Help us to see what it says. Trust it and believe it this morning. Tomorrow morning, the morning after, and every other night. Lord, help us, we pray, for your glory. And ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have uh, ever received bad news? Hands up. Some that haven't won't know what I'm talking about. Hands up if you've received good news. Ever received good news? Haven't heard the gospel? That is good news. Hands up if you've heard the good news. Right. I've got everyone's hands up. So you don't know the good news unless you know the bad news, right? And if you've only just heard the good news, without the bad news, the good news doesn't look that great. And so what we want is to know the, the bad news so that we can understand and fully comprehend the good news. This morning as we come to our text, really I want to ask you this question, what is the gospel? What is the good news? You know, this is a vital thing for a Christian to know because it, it's by the gospel that a person, it is by the gospel that a person comes to faith. Why? Because God said so. Not me. God said, faith comes from and hearing by the... And the word of Christ is the gospel. If, all of, if the gospel is involved in a person coming to faith, it must be important, right? It must be important for the Christian to actually know what the gospel is. On, on Tuesday and Thursday night, our Bible study group uh, watched a, a video called The American Gospel, Christ Alone. If you haven't seen it, you need to go on and jump on YouTube and watch it. Because it's not just about the American gospel. Sadly, it's also about the Australian gospel that has gone terribly wrong. 
And the message that we, we're hearing out there is a message that has minimized the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to really get that right. So as we consider our text this morning, it's necessary for us to see that the, the gospel is important. Well, not just that, but we as Christians who claim to be Christians must actually know it because we have actually heard it. It's necessary for us to see this, and it's necessary that, that the Apostle Paul thought so, that he saw the need for the Colossians to understand the importance of the gospel, and so the Apostle Paul refers to the gospel in verses 3 and verses 5 of chapter 1 of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, and there we see really the, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul's really establishing the ground here based on the gospel, and he says this, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And then in verse 6, he says, which has come to you, what came to them? The gospel. Just as in all the world, also it is. What is it is? The gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it, the gospel, has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God and truth, but it doesn't end there. Verse 7, just as you learned it, learned what? From Epaphras. doesn't end there. Verse 9, for this reason also since the day we heard of it, the gospel, Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly, established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, and what have they heard earlier? The gospel, do you see the re repetition here? The Apostle Paul is making a point and it's primarily about the, the gospel. The gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed, so not only had it been heard, but it had been spoken in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. A minister of what? The gospel. doesn't end there. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. It's 25 to 28. And then he goes on. That is the mystery. What was the mystery? Which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known 
what is God willed to make known, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the gospel, folks? He goes on to say, well, we proclaim him. Who is him? We proclaim Christ, you could say, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And that's just chapter 1. But what we see here is the importance of establishing the fact that the Colossians' ability to believe that is the source of their faith was founded in the gospel. That's why Paul makes so much of it in one chapter. He wants his readers to know the gospel is important. You know what? That is true for anyone who claims to be a Christian. That without the hearing of the gospel, the empowering of the gospel by the Spirit of God, the response to the gospel by a person because of the work of God, and just as uh, Paul shared this morning, he responded to the gospel. Why? Because of the work that God had previously done. And so he responded because of what the Lord had been doing by faith. And all of this was founded in the gospel, and that is true for anyone who claims to be a Christian, that without the hearing of the gospel, the empowering of the gospel by the Spirit of God, the response to the gospel by a person, then one cannot truly say they have come to faith. That they are indeed a Christian. So the Apostle Paul writes, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Uh, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And so the, the Apostle's prayer was related to the Colossians' faith in Christ and love for the saints because of the word of truth or gospel they had heard. I think what I'm trying to establish here is the importance of the gospel. Do we value the gospel? Not just with our heads or with our mouths, but with our hearts, because we've actually believed in the gospel. Therefore, the first chapter of uh, the book of Colossians really is an attempt by the apostles to do that, to establish the gospel. But the gospel was important to the understanding of the Colossians is very evident. The question that you want to ask is why? Why is the gospel very important? Why does Paul spend much effort in establishing that the gospel was of significant importance to the Colossians? I guess you have to understand a bit of the background of the Colossian church. and They, they were in a time at a time where, um, and if you pick this up in chapter 2, where they were under attack. And they were under attack by false teachers. 
And uh, in chapter 2, we, we get this where, uh, where it says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Did you see it there? So that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then jump down to verse 8. And he says, See to it that no one takes you captive. It's interesting that word see in the Greek is the word blepo. Remember blepo from the book of Philippians? Beware. Beware of the dogs of the mutilators and the evil workers. Philippians chapter 3. This is the same Greek word, beware, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And so this church really was in a position where they were open to the attacks of false teaching. That uh, video we watched is a um, Bible study group on Thursday night and Tuesday. Really highlights the fact of the false teaching that is out there in the evangelical world. In churches who are claiming to be evangelical. And minimizing the gospel down to a number of false things and it was no different to the church of Colossae. So we want to ask the question what is the gospel but we also want to ask what is it that the Colossians have heard? First of all they were hearing the gospel they heard the gospel but they were also hearing other things weren't they? Things that were contrary to the gospel. You see, there is a hearing that takes place. And unfortunately, many are deceived in this hearing. Many have heard many things, but it was not the gospel. The gospel they've heard is the gospel of you must do something in order for God to save you. Have you heard that gospel being preached? That God can't save you unless you do something. That is a false gospel. God can do as he pleases. But why do many believe that he can't do nothing unless we please it to happen? He is God. We are not. That is a false gospel. You must do something in order for God to save you. 
Anything you have to do, folks, in reality, and it's something that you, you don't actually do because it's your nature, is to be totally depraved, is to be a total sinner, and we are all fallen short of the glory of God. By our very nature, we are doing what, what is necessary for us to be saved. There is nothing else that you can do or need to do except that you be a sinner. Because Jesus said, I did not come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous, to save sinners. So there is nothing you can do. Number two, God saves you because you deserve it. This is really related to the first one. That you deserve to be saved because of things you do. Because you've been raised in a, in a particular home, you've, you've maybe grown up in church all your life, therefore God, you must save me because I deserve it. Number three, God saves you so you can have a more abundant lifestyle. That is a false gospel too. God does not save you so you can have a better lifestyle. You might have a better lifestyle, but that's not why God saves you. He saves you because you are a sinner. He saves you most of all because he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. He must save you. If he has chosen you before the foundation of the world, there's no other way it can happen. While the Bible is scattered with that teaching. Number four, God can save you, but unless you prove your worthiness, He can't hold on to you. It's another false gospel because, folks, we are unworthy. There's not a person in here this morning who is worthy. Only Christ is worthy. The moment we think we're worthy of anything, we are not in him or his throne. Let's put ourselves there. There is none righteous, no, not one. None who seeks after God, none who does good, not even one. Number five, God saves you so that you can be the hero. And you can be the hero of the story so that you can get up there and say, look at me. You want to be like me? You just have to come and walk the aisle. Come and say a prayer. And you can be like me. But we are not the heroes. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. He is worthy of it. We are not. Well, number six, that God saves you so you can have heaven. That too is a false gospel. God doesn't save you so he can pluck you out of this world and put you in heaven. Yes, we get to heaven, but that is not why he saves us. He saves us, first of all, because of his decrees. That he has decreed from before the foundations to save you. The foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
He has chosen you before the foundations of the world. That's why he saves you. By his very word. He cannot go against his word. Let's turn there, um, Ephesians chapter 1. See this with me. It's very important that you read it in your Bible so you can see it. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4. Even as he... He did what? Who chose? God chose us in him when? Before the... Does that say... Who hasn't got that in their Bibles? Just put your hand up. And you got the wrong Bible, brother. <laughs> well, there you go. Creation world, same thing. <laughs> but it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Doesn't... Do you see what it's saying there? In black and white? What does it say? Hands up if you were around before the foundations of the world. Who was there before the foundations of the world? I must be the only saved person here. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Are you a Christian here this morning? Who was there before the foundations of the world? You must have been because he chose you in him before the foundations of the world. You might not have been there physically, but you were there. That's why you were saved today. You were saved today because he chose you before the foundations of the world. Why? Ephesians 2 verse 8. By grace have you been saved. Do you get it? That not of yourself, but it is the gift of God through faith. And don't get that wrong. The gift is faith. It is not grace, as some try to make it. It is actually faith, that you are given faith to believe why? So that no one may boast. So he saves you before you're even born so that you can't You can't boast. So that you would just be going, wow, God, you did this. God, you are great. God, you are amazing. Folks, that is good news. That is good news. It says that God makes a promise and he keeps it. Isn't that encouraging for you to know that God keeps his promise? Even from before the foundations of the world and, and eternity past, we're talking, and eternity before now. He made a promise and by his very decrees that he came out of his mouth, he has no other choice but to keep his word. Because he cannot lie. He 
He said he has chosen people before the foundations of the world. He is going to keep his word. That's good news. It says we can trust him. You are here this morning because he chose you before the foundations of the world. You may have responded like I did to that, but he had done it before the foundations of the world. So that when you responded, all you could do was go, wow, thank you, Lord. I don't know why I came to faith. I don't know. I really can't explain why me or even why you. I can't explain why he chose you. I can't explain why he chose me. But I know this, so that no man may boast. If God saves you so that you can have heaven, is a false gospel. God saves you so that you will get Christ. What is better than heaven? Jesus. Jesus. Without Jesus, you don't get heaven. Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to heaven. No man gets heaven except through me, Jesus said. You get that? And the false gospel says, no, you get heaven. That's going to be your greatest joy, your, your, your greatest hope. Sadly, lots of Christians do this. Pray, I can't wait to get to heaven. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. I get that. But you have something greater than heaven. You have someone greater than heaven. You have Jesus who bore your sin, who died in your place, who suffered beyond your suffering and he knows exactly what you're going through because he created you and he says things like my grace is sufficient for you when you are weak that's when you are strong and we scratch our heads and we go Sometimes I think we're not meant to get it. Sometimes I think we're just meant to trust that His grace is sufficient. Even though this pain is incredible, even though this hurt is incredible, His grace is sufficient. And there are probably more, but each of these are false gospels. And really at this point of it, it just really helps to remember that the letter to the church at Colossae was an attempt by the Apostle Paul really in response to information that had been relayed to him by Epaphras concerning the Colossians and the, the danger of the false teaching which was beginning to populate the city of Colossae possibly the church of Colossae. Now the heart of this false teaching was the minimizing of the sovereignty and the deity and the sufficiency of Christ. Did you get that? They're really seeking to minimize the sovereignty, the deity, 
and the sufficiency of Christ. And so in chapter 2, verse 8, the apostle gives us that detail of the, the false doctrine of the false teachers when he writes, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. So the teaching which was being purported by the false teachers at Colossae was first a captivating gospel. And that is the mistake often made by well-meaning Christians. The gospel message should captivate the audience. That unless it's a captivating story, it's not really the gospel. Remember how Charles Spurgeon, anybody know how Charles Spurgeon came to Christ? <clears throat> he was saying he, uh, he rocked up one day, he just had a heavy heart, he was only a young man, uh, and I think he would have been about 17, 18 at the time, and uh, it was a snowy day and he just was burdened, he didn't know why he was burdened, uh, he grew up, his grandfather was a, was a preacher, and he would go and stay with his grandfather and he, he had this uh, uh, real love for books and he would read all his grandfather's books. But he had no faith, he said. He had no faith in God. He just had a, a, a desire for knowledge. And he would read all his grandfather's commentaries and all his books and the Bible and he had all this knowledge but he had no faith. Anyway, when he was 17, 18, he um, was really going through this real heavy time in his life. He didn't know why. And one day he was walking through the snow and uh, heading home <clears throat> and it started, the snow started to come down and he saw the church, there was a church there, a Methodist church, and he decided to go in there and get some shelter. He walked in and uh, the pastor wasn't there that day so they had a lay minister preaching the gospel. And uh, he said there's no eloquence in how he preached it. It was just one phrase caught his attention in that whole sermon. But the sermon wasn't that great. It was from Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And he said at that moment, the lights went on. At that moment, the lights went on. God had opened his heart to this man. Remember Martin Luther? He grew up in the church. He was a scholar of the scriptures. Had great knowledge, no faith. Read in the book of Romans. What does he come across? Man is justified by faith alone. The lights came on. God had opened his heart and his mind by his word. That's It's the gospel. Many think you have to have a captivating story to tell before it is the gospel. So it just has to be the truth. He said in John's gospel, the truth sets you free. When Jesus preached the gospel, the crowd sought to hurt him. 
When Peter and Paul preached the gospel, the crowd sought to hurt them. When Stephen preached the gospel, the crowds killed him. Captivating. And so we should never suggest that the gospel is a captivating and you know, tantalizing message that somehow appeals to a person without offending them either. See, the gospel is very offensive. The gospel is an offensive message to the unsaved person because, among many things, it is not about the person, but about Christ. And among other things, the gospel makes it clear that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. And it's Christ The gospel identifies that we were utterly depraved, but Christ wasn't. He who knew no sin became sin for us. <clears throat> so the false teaching at Colossae was captivating because it appealed to human philosophy. And human philosophy is dangerous. It's dangerous to come to the text with our human philosophy, with what we think the Bible actually says. Rather than what does it actually say? That's human philosophy. We come with our humanistic ideas. And so when we're confronted with Scripture, we twist it to make it say what it actually doesn't say. Because we've determined in our own minds that it says something else. So we need to be careful of doing that. That was at the heart of the, uh, the false teaching that Paul really attacks here. And so what we need to understand really is the false teaching, teaching that Colossae was captivating because it appealed to human philosophy, it appealed to human traditions, and it appealed to the elementary principles of this world rather than to Christ. And so we need to understand is that a false gospel is a gospel really without Christ. Now, I don't just mean, you know, we tack Christ on to the end of the message. I mean, we're talking about a gospel that is just completely makes Christ look like he's the puppet. That he's the genie in the bottle, and if you give him enough rubs, he'll come out. And he'll, he'll give you your three wishes. He is no genie in a bottle, folks, and he is no puppet. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And he rules and he does as he pleases. Not according to man's will, not according to human philosophy, but according to his perfect and righteous wisdom, according to his holiness. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that the gospel is about Christ. What is the gospel? The answer is Christ is the gospel. Remember the word gospel comes from the Greek word which means good news. Christ is the good news. 
and it refers to uh, a messenger. You know, it refers to a messenger who was given the message to run back to the city after the king had defeated the enemy. And he was given the message to run back to the city to tell the people in the city that the king had won, that the king had been victorious. Guess what the people back in the city would do? Shout for joy because the enemy had been defeated. Oh, Christian, why aren't we shouting for joy knowing that the enemy has been defeated? Maybe because we don't believe he has. Maybe we, we don't believe that the king is actually that strong. That he can actually beat the enemy. He has. That's what the messenger would run back and tell the city. The king had won. But we need to understand here that Christ is the gospel. Two things I want to touch on. The gospel is not our story, folks. The gospel is his story. It is not our story. It is a story about him. Often we hear Christians share their testimonies, and I'm greatly encouraged when I hear a testimony, how God saved them, you know, and how God brought them to that point and what he did, how he converted their dead hearts. But that's a testimony. And it's a testimony about a person. Throughout the scriptures we have many testimonies. However, I believe Christians make the mistake of thinking that when they tell their testimony, they're actually sharing the gospel. But if you're sharing your testimony, yes, you might say what Christ did for you, but that is not the gospel. Because the gospel is his story. It's about what he has done. Some believe that a testimony about a person's life before Christ and their conversion to Christ packs more punch. That it packs more punch than the gospel. Oh, have you read Romans chapter 1, verse 16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jew and then for the Greek, for the Gentile. Oh, that packs more punch than a testimony, even though it might not sound like it. Why? Because it is his story. The gospel is not our story. The gospel is not our testimony about our conversion. The gospel is the story, really the testimony of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul explains the gospel in its, uh, really in its brief form when he writes this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. Now he was saying, I'm going to tell you what this gospel is, which I preach to you. I'm going to explain it. Uh, which also you receive. So you receive this gospel in which also you stand, 
that I stood in this gospel in which also you are saved, are saved in this gospel that he's going to mention very shortly, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So what he's saying there, well, you will really know if you're a Christian, how? Because you will hold fast to the gospel which he preached to them. And he said, they, they got it and they kept it in their hearts and they proclaimed it with their mouths. He says, but if you don't, it's just a vain thing that you even believe. You believe in vain. And then he goes on to say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins. How? According to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared. That's the gospel. Simple, isn't it? Died for our sins according to the scriptures, not according to human philosophy, but according to the word of God, and that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared according to the scriptures. I was part of a group on Monday, a pastor's group up in Adelaide, and, uh, you know, just really... Um, we need to be part of something where we can encourage each other and, and pray and meet and, and talk about the Lord. And that's how I've got, I've been, I've got the first time on Monday anyway, but I'm, I'm going to be regular with this particular group. And uh, they're pastors who just believe the Bible. And one of them was saying that he's got a friend who was uh, part of the church, Church of Christ, to be honest with you. And uh, he sat his elders. Got himself into a lot of trouble. Why did he sack them? Because they did not believe in the resurrection. And for his effort, the church of Christ sacked him. Huh. It's ridiculous. He said, Wow, I don't think you can be a Christian. Have no belief that Jesus is risen. I don't think you responded to the gospel. If you don't believe Jesus has risen, remember when you came to faith. Remember when God saved you and He converted your heart, changed your mind, changed your heart. You didn't know doctrine, you didn't know theology, but you knew Jesus. Did you not? When he opened your eyes and your heart, you just wanted Christ. You hadn't seen him physically. I hadn't seen him physically. Actually, I hadn't heard a lot about him growing up as a non-Christian child in a non-Christian home. But that night I was converted. I believed that he was real. That he is real. I believed. How did I get that? By the grace of God, 
I didn't understand the resurrection. Actually, if I had sat down and thought about it, I would have thought, wow, that's pretty impossible from a humanistic point of view. God had given me the faith to believe that it was real. I said to the, the guys there, bro, guys, I'm concerned you can't be a Christian. I don't believe Jesus is risen. Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God, what? You will be saved. You are a Christian. If you don't believe that, you're probably not a Christian. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared. Why do you believe he is risen? You've never seen him physically. No one has. Nobody has. Nobody in our day and age has actually seen Christ, although many say they have. The Bible says they haven't. Many will come and claim to be Christ and say they've seen him. As to lead Australia, even the elect, if it were possible. <clears throat> Why? Why do you believe? It's in your heart and God has put it there. He's opened your heart and your mind to believe that Christ has that he is no longer in the grave, that he is not dead, but that he has come alive and he has appeared to you through his word, through the gospel. And so the gospel, the good news, is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, and then he appeared. And then we read in verses 55 and 57 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and this nails it. Where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the other night on Thursday night, I said, God, this really just, just really spoke to me, this verse. Not verbally, but, you know, I just saw it, and I went, Oh, wow. Can you see that, guys? I don't know if you saw it. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what was Jesus victorious over? He was victorious over three things. The law, sin, and you notice Satan is not dead? So is Jesus not victorious over Satan? It made me wonder, why doesn't Paul mention Satan? Has he not crushed his head as he promised in the Garden of Eden? Now realize, Satan is not powerful. Satan is not sovereign. You know that sin and death are more powerful than Satan? Satan cannot take life unless he's been given the permission. When Jesus defeated sin and death, he crushed Satan's hopes. 
why you don't see Satan there. You say, what about the law? How did he defeat the law? Matthew 5, 17, doesn't it say that, that, that he came? I think I've got it here. Uh, Matthew 5.17 Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to <clears throat> but Jesus dealt with the law as he fulfilled the law. You know what that means? We don't keep the law. In fact we cannot keep the law. That is legalism. That is religiosity. To think that we can keep the law is ridiculous. Remember the rich young ruler? Comes to Jesus. He's good teacher. Big mistake. He says, good teacher. How can I inherit eternal life? What must I do? You see that? Big mistake. What must I do? Jesus says, first of all, uh, you started off wrong here. There is only one who is good. Why did Jesus say that? You know why? Because that rich young man thought that he was good. Jesus says, have you kept the law? He says, well, this is how good I am. Yes. <laughs> have you kept all the commands? What does he say? Yeah. I've kept them all. How arrogant is that? How religious is that? To think that you could keep all the law. You know, we have the Ten Commandments. You know why they're there? To help us see we fall short. At the first one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. To have no other God before him. No need to worry about the other nine. Because we can't get that one. That's okay. Because Christ came. Christ came. That's why we are in him. That's why we don't try to fulfill the law. Because only Christ fulfilled the law. Isn't that good news? And in fulfilling the law, we don't have we never could. Jesus came to fulfill the law so that we didn't have to because we can. The law says you do. Jesus said on the cross, it is done. You see the difference between the false gospel and the true gospel? And you will hear the false gospel because it says you come to Christ and then you start doing. It makes the 
the gospel really in just to a motive, makes it a motivational thing. Come to Christ and you do, do, do. But Jesus said it's done. Does that mean we don't do anything? Well, we do. But we do it by the grace of God as the, as the fruit of the Spirit. It is fruit. You ever seen a person in an orchard, an orchardist, go to an apple tree, shake it, shake it, and shake it, and shake it, hoping it will bear fruit? it's a happy tree. Those in Christ, those truly in Christ, will bear fruit because they are a Christian. They have Christ in them. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Branches doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. Those are bear fruit so they bear much fruit. So the Lord says to him, Jesus says, it's done. It's done. You don't have to do, and you don't have to tell others that they have to do, do, do. Did you know that? The Pharisee gospel says, now that you're a Christian, get out there and start making people do, 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 do. But the true gospel says this, let's go, let's pray for our people. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit who dwells in them, who is greater and bigger and more powerful than they are, will bring them to life if they are truly his. You know, we've seen that here in the last few months, and it's been encouraging to see what the Lord can do. To see how the Lord builds his house and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, it may try, but it will not prevail. Because God is building Nothing will stop it. And isn't that encouraging? Isn't it encouraging for you to see a person who's just been dead all of a sudden come to life in Christ? You know, I've shared this story before, and I'm not going to mention names, but there was a lady when I was at the Church of Christ who used to give me an end on this. She used to give me a really hard time. And she would come to my office every Monday morning and she would knock on my door, come in, and she would sit down and she'd say, when are you going to stop talking about Jesus? When are you going to stop giving us the gospel? We're Christians here. We don't need that. You need to tell us what we need to do. You think I listen to her? We all need the gospel, folks. Whether you're a Christian or not, it is the good news about Christ. How can you not desire the good news about Christ? So I soldiered on, under attack. I have her sitting in the pew shaking her head at me. 
getting very nasty. But I soldiered on because I believe the gospel is the power of God to save. I believe that God is sovereign in all things. We've left the Church of Christ and planted a little church at Fraser Park. We were meeting there for a couple of years and I saw her walking on the street one day. And I pulled over and I stopped to have a chat to her. And by, by this time she'd become very sick. And um, she, she came over and we were chatting and she said to me, you know what, Sharon? I said, what? And just tears started coming down his face and waterfalls. She said, you were right. I said, what do you mean? The Lord has opened her eyes. The Lord has opened her heart to Christ. This lady was different. This lady started coming along the Fraser Park and she loved to hear black guys. Different person. Wow. Despite her illness, she was alive. She wanted to have fellowship, to hear people talk about. get that? <clears throat> That's the power of the gospel, folks. To make a dead man alive, to bring joy in the heart of a person. Because the king has won the battle. The king has defeated man. The king has done everything. But as you rejoice in the victory that we have, as you rejoice in what he has done, you can't help but be a You can't help but want to tell people the good news. Because it is good news. And it's his news. About him and what he has done. Father God, we just want to thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that the gospel is the power of God to save and that it has saved all those that you have determined to be saved by your will. Nobody outside of your will comes to faith except by your will. And that we are here as Christians this morning because you have determined it to be so by your will. Oh, what a humbling thing that is. What a great thing that is. In fact, it makes you look greater than we are. How can it not be? That is grace. Forget what we don't deserve. To believe that Jesus Christ 